Today's podcast is brought to you by the Cato Institute. Which U.S. state is the freest? Which is the least free? See how your state ranks at the Cato Institute's new web project and free publication, freedominthe50states.org. Congress is winding down its lengthy summer vacation, and when lawmakers return to Washington after Labor Day, they'll just have weeks to finish a spending plan in order to keep the government running in 2017. But can they get it done in the crucible of a heated and unpredictable election year? Establishment candidates fared well in the latest primaries in Florida and Arizona. How does all the anti-establishment talk on the campaign trail sync up with such results? I'm Adriel Bettelheim with CQ Roll Call, joined by CQ Appropriations reporter Ryan McCrimmon and Roll Call political reporter Simone Pathé. Ryan, with Republicans' hopes of passing individual spending bills pretty much dashed by all the partisanship and the time crunch, uh, it's all but certain we'll need a short-term stopgap spending bill just to carry the government past September 30th and into the new fiscal year, right? That's right. So that'll be lawmakers' top job when they come back to Congress after Labor Day. Um, As you said, September 30th is the end of the current fiscal year, so they'll have to pass uh, what's known as a continuing resolution, a stopgap funding measure. As you said, they need to do that before September 30th, or there would be a government shutdown, which nobody wants right before an election. Now, the White House submitted a wish list of spending tweaks to Congress. Uh, What is the administration going after here? So these stopgap bills essentially lock all government agencies and programs into outdated spending plans from the prior year. Some of these programs need a a little update so urgently that the White House will request that lawmakers provide a little bit of flexibility in this continuing resolution. So they list, you know, the really the top 20 or so programs that need an urgent update, um, things that are very timely or programs that may need to change because they're ending or something like that. So lawmakers can choose to include as many as the White House has requested or none in the continuing resolution. So we'll, we'll be waiting to see what which of these are included. And because they break with the status quo, they're known in Washington speak as anomalies, right? Yeah, exactly. Anomalies. So the conservative Republicans, uh, especially in the House, they want to punt funding into March 2017 with a six-month stopgap. Many Democrats and the appropriators in both parties want to finish spending work with an omnibus package in December. Uh, Who's going to prevail? It's hard to know at this point. The past two years, Congress has wrapped up spending work with an omnibus in December, so that would seem to be sort of the default. It's a lot harder in an election year because, you know, that'll be a lame duck session President Obama's final month in office and a lot of conservatives, as you said, are really hesitant to to do any major spending deals during that time with so many congressmen leaving, Senate Minority Leader Harry Reid, that'll be his last time. So they're pushing very hard to punt funding into March of 2017. As you said, a lot of Democrats don't want to do that. They don't want to saddle if they think that Hillary Clinton is likely to win. They don't want to saddle her new administration with wrapping up the previous year's work when they'll have all sorts of ambitious goals that they'll want to take care of in the early part of the new Congress and new administration. 
conservatives fear is that there'll be last-minute deal-making and that uh, conservative doctrine on budget and spending will will just be discarded. Exactly. And, and last year's omnibus was viewed by a lot of Republicans as not very favorable towards them. It didn't include a lot of the policy or spending goals that they wanted. So that's why they're quite wary of these, of these year-end spending deals. Uh, the White House hasn't said much publicly about how long uh, continuing resolution or CR should be. Uh, what are they telling you? They haven't said much, but it's we think that they're going to want to finish up work before the end of the year. We don't think they'll want to leave um, the next administration with the you know the prior year spending work. Um, it's it's possible that the White House at some point in September or eventually December could say, you know, we will we won't sign any continuing resolution that punts funding into next year. Congress, you need to finish your work before we leave. We won't sign anything other than a, a final omnibus in December. So uh, obviously they've had six, seven weeks uh, to go back to their districts and maybe cool off from some of the fights earlier this year. It's a little hard to take the temperature with them just coming back into town. What would you say are the odds the government could shut down? Very low at this point. I don't think anybody in Congress wants to see a shutdown a month or so before the election. It just looks terrible for them. And it's not it's not clear until, you know, as you said, until they get back and we get a better pulse. But the main fight will essentially be the duration of this stopgap measure, whether they want to punt until December or until March. That'll be the big issue, which theoretically could lead to a shutdown. But I think at this point, it's pretty unlikely. Over to politics, Simone Pathé, Florida, uh, always a great source of political stories. And on August 30th, we saw two troubled House incumbents, Congressman Alan Grayson and Congresswoman Corinne Brown, lose their primaries, right? Yes. So Alan Grayson was running in the Democratic primary for Senate. He lost to fellow Democratic Representative Patrick Murphy, who will go on to run against Marco Rubio, the incumbent, of course, who ran for president, then dropped down to run for his Senate seat again. As you know, after my race ended in March for the presidency, I was prepared to become a private citizen. Uh, uh, and, And I was not just prepared to be so, but I was excited about what that meant. Uh, Time with our family, uh, other opportunities. But I just couldn't be at peace with the idea that we were going to not just potentially lose the Senate seat, but lose the balance of power in the Senate at this critical moment in our nation's history. So Marco Rubio says that he decided to run for this seat so that he could hold the Senate. This was obviously a huge boon for the Republican Party. The seat looked very competitive and honestly not so good for them before he got in the race. Um, He said yesterday that he would not have run again for the Senate if he wanted to run for president again. So his future political aspirations, I think, are still somewhat in question. Uh, It's interesting. Both Republican and Democratic Party leaders got the matchup they wanted in Murphy versus Rubio in this what could be a very, very critical uh, Florida Senate race that could decide control of the Hall Chamber. How does this all square or or not square with the anti-establishment rhetoric we've been hearing on the presidential campaign trail? So it's interesting, despite the surge of Bernie Sanders in the Democratic primary earlier this year and obviously the rise of Donald Trump, you have not seen the same um, anti-establishment rhetoric really trickle down and take hold in an effective way in terms of toppling incumbents at the House and Senate level. Um, Even going back to some of the earliest Senate primaries this year in March, long 
longtime Alabama Senator Richard Shelby took his primary very seriously, spent a lot of money, hired some really top-flight Republican consultants, and he was just fine. You saw that again last night with John McCain. He had a challenger, um, State Senator Kelly Ward in Arizona. She never really got the kind of outside backing that you would have needed from some of these conservative outside groups to do well to topple someone like McCain. Um, And again and again, you've seen Senate Republicans, they've survived these primaries fairly easily. Yeah, and McCain will be be seeking a sixth term. So so what is it? Are these conservative groups getting a little more picky about which states they weigh in? Or uh, was it just a bad candidate in the case of Arizona? A little bit of both. Um, Kelly Ward had her her own issues. She's been a strong proponent of uh, the chemtrails idea, and that turned off a lot of outside groups that might have gotten in for her. Certainly, um, big groups like the Club for Growth is is they're being a lot more selective in the candidates that they choose to back. Uh, amazingly, there are only two primaries left, um, and that's going to be on the 13th in New Hampshire and Delaware. And we have the prospect of another incumbent in New Hampshire, Congressman Frank Ginta, uh, in trouble because of ethics concerns, right? Right. So we have seen um, five House incumbents now have lost in primaries. Corinne Brown was the latest um, on August 30th in Florida's 5th District. Um, And again, as you said, in New Hampshire, we now have Frank Ginta. He accepted $350,000 from uh, what was a fund operated by his parents that violated FEC rules. He'll face in a a primary against a a Republican businessman up there in the first district. It's looking increasingly like Ginta will make it through this primary, but whether he makes it through the general election is a much more daunting question. Um, This is a district that has flipped back and forth between himself and former Democratic Rep. Carol Shea Porter several times. Yeah, it seems like that district almost flips every two years. (laughs) And of course, in New Hampshire, uh, not so much the focus on the primaries, but in the general election, the Senate race between between the incumbent Kelly A. Republican and the Democratic Governor Maggie Hassan, one of the really closest watch Senate races. Yeah, that one's going to come down to the wire. Polling increasingly shows it pretty tight between the two of them. Roll call political reporter Simone Pathé, CQ appropriations reporter Ryan McCrimmon. My thanks. I'm Adriel Bettelheim. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can find all of our podcasts at rollcall.com forward slash podcasts. Have a good week.